Hi, I'm Jim Lloyd, and today we're at the Heritage Center in Withful, Virginia, and we're going to interview Debbie Larson, who is a longtime music person in this region. Hope you'll join us as Junior Appalachian Musicians visits Debbie Larson. Well, thank you for coming, Debbie. That's why you're quite welcome. Yeah, good to have you here. And uh, the, I not to say that you're old, but <laughs> the history that you have with music is quite a unique experience. And, and I am old, so there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what's your very first memory of experiencing music? How old were you and what was going on? Well, my grandmother had a baby grand piano in the living room. And when she would play, I would go sit under the piano. And I'd have something to play with or whatever. But between that and my grandfather played clawhammer banjo. And there, were, on Saturday nights, folks came and gathered in the house, and there's always lots of music. And this is in Mount Airy, North Carolina? No, in Ararat, Virginia, Ararat, Patrick Virginia. County. Right, okay. And um, it was always just great fun, except my grandmother, piano, um, she did not she was originally from Richmond, and she wasn't real sure about that fiddle and banjo stuff. <laughs> so she'd get a little bit peeved on Saturdays, and she'd go sit in her bedroom with her fingers in her ears. I do remember that very oh, wow. vividly. <laughs> wow. So they didn't play together? Oh, no. no. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what kind of music did she play? Very classical piano stuff, and hymns. And your grandpa played clawhammer, so all mm -hmm. the traditional fiddle, fiddle and banjo stuff. Right. Um, when he was growing up, he was in the family band, and they played for dances all over the place. And he played banjo, his daddy played fiddle, his brother played guitar. Um, I'm sure there were others around because, and then when my dad was coming up, he liked the fiddle. And my grandmother said, fine, but he's gonna play the violin. So they'd have to schlep him to Mount Airy for violin lessons. And so he would do that and then he'd go home and he would stay with his grandmother and granddaddy, my great-grandparents, at night, um, help keep the fire up and that kind of thing. So he started learning some fiddle music. And... Um, now, did you learn that from your great-grandparents? Mm-hmm. Okay, so your, your grandfather's mom and dad played yeah. too. And... Um, so he was, he had learned two tunes, and let me think what they were. I love being old. <laughs> That's one of the drawbacks. <laughs> um, one was Raggedy Ann, and one was, oh yes, Chinese Breakdown. And that's as far as he had gotten. And his granddaddy, got 
flu or you know whatever it was and couldn't go play the dance on Saturday night. And there wasn't anybody else around, so he had to go and play a dance on a Saturday night with his two fifty. Two songs? <laughs> wow. He said, fortunately, everybody was having such a good time stomping and dancing and so on. They didn't much care what it was as long as there was, you know. So he, he was fiddling with your, with your grandfather? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Papa was playing banjo and Uncle Herman, great Uncle Herman, was playing guitar. And so his, I guess he was 12 at that point. So the violin did not last long. Oh, no. Much to your grandmother's dismay, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but... Um, did, uh, you, did your grandmother ever get adjusted to, did she ever take a liking to fiddling banjo? Um, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I was looking the other day through, it was my wedding anniversary had come up and I was looking through, you know, photo album and I had some of my, my bluegrass picking friends play at my wedding reception. And I noticed that my grandmother was nowhere near where the band was. She was way over there. <laughs> well, to each his own, I exactly. guess. Exactly. So when you, uh, after your exposure, what, what age was it that you started having an interest in playing? Well, um, I guess I was in maybe elementary school. I started playing um, baritone ukulele was my first stringed instrument. I'd taken piano lessons and that kind of stuff, but. Now you all moved to, to, to Withful, Virginia, 1948 or so? Mm, maybe 49, I was a year and a half old, so probably sometime in early 49. Okay, so this this experience was from Withful and you, your dad started the radio station here, the very first radio station in Withful. Yes. So there was live music on that station and you were hearing that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how, so in elementary school you took up the, the uke. Because mm -hmm. it was easier to hold. Okay. <laughs> and it had those plastic strings or something that didn't chew up my fingers. And what, what then? And then I went to a classical guitar and that just didn't take because by then my ears really were into the, the older stuff and bluegrass and that didn't take, but it took me a long time to work my way into bass because after, after that, um, I just, I was busy singing and, and that sort of thing and didn't really have anybody to play with until I moved back to Withville after, you know, I was in college in Charlotte Except at that point, I only knew bagpipe players. <laughs> and then for my first job, I moved to Baltimore and was there for three years. And then um, with a promotion and so on, I was in the DC area for about 16 years. And um, I at least had friends that, that were interested in going to concerts and we go down on the mall for the. Well, you were involved festivals. in choirs and stuff too, weren't you? Oh yeah. That? So you always, the the I've church. I've always and... had 
I've always had my finger in music, one how or another. Right. But I took up the bass, I guess, after I moved back to Withville after my husband died. Um, I moved back here in 86, early 87, somewhere in there. And I had gone to a, a picking party at my daddy's house. And a friend, Johnny Vipperman, was playing bass, but he'd really rather be playing mandolin. So he said, Debbie, come here. And I did, and he said, here, play this. I said, uh, okay, what do I do? And he said, well, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, um, I said, okay. So I started playing, and by the second tune, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked on playing the bass. Wow. And that's what I've played ever since. Although I occasionally will pick up a guitar or a banjo and then think, too many strings. Now you play, you, you've had a lot of experience playing in old time and bluegrass, both. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see as the main difference there? I'd say bluegrass does a lot more keys, a lot more singing, a lot more original material, although there's still a lot of original things being written in old time fashion. But I guess playing old time the way old time really is, I just like the sound of it. It, it's very, it can be very haunting. It can be very lively. Um, even we've discovered that people just don't waltz anymore. So our waltzes even kind of step up and folks, well, two-step to the waltzes. Now <laughs> yeah, has, has a, as a very young person, your father would take you to the Galax Fiddlers Convention, right? Mm -hmm. My first Galax Fiddlers Convention, I think I was five, and my granddaddy came up from from Ararat and was going to go to Galax to the Fiddlers Convention, and he decided Debbie needs to go. <laughs> so he came all the way to Withful and then all the way to Galax, taking me to my first Galax Fiddlers Convention. Because, well, back in the, the really old days, um, my grandfather was a country doctor, and he always kept his banjo somewhere around, usually in the dispensary, and, you know, and so far back in the woods that there wasn't a real handy pharmacy to go to. So he had this wall of, you know, floor to ceiling, and he dispensed pills and cough medicine and you know, that kind of thing. And he'd usually keep his banjo in there. And some of his good buddies would come to get their heart checked or their, you know, whatever. And they'd come wagging their instrument in too. And they'd always have to sit down and have a tune. <laughs> 
before the exam. But we're a far cry from that now, aren't we? Exactly. <laughs> so when your grandfather would take you to the Galax Fiddlers Convention, you were around a lot of the much older musicians. Right. And um, there is this one wonderful little fellow whose name I can't recall right now, but I thought it was so funny because somebody was asking, well, where'd you learn to fiddle like that? And I guess they were expecting, you know, who knows what they were expecting. But what they got was very unexpected because he said, well, I was up in New York City one time and I heard this man fiddling and I learned this from New York City. That's funny. <laughs> so yeah, so a mountain guy. Nope. And owed his whole musical career to New York. <laughs> yeah, but he'd said, New York City. <laughs> I think I have a photo of him in even later years somewhere around the house. Now, so you saw you saw through the 50s and you saw in the 60s the folk revival when everything, when they were coming down mm -hmm. uh, from up north trying to learn the music. Right. What did you think of all that? I thought it was wonderful because it's always nice to see something grow instead of just turn stale and die. And um, a lot of a lot of the old timers were darn old hippies. <laughs> but uh, what did your grandpa think about? Well, he died in 1957, okay, so, so he, he didn't, get, he he didn't, didn't really see, see. Yeah, but your dad did. Mm -hmm. And your dad, being the type of fellow he was, he probably really enjoyed it. He did. And I guess it was in the... Hmm, about 63 or so that my dad started judging at the Galax Fiddlers Convention. Now, your dad was Art Gates mm -hmm. and... and like I say, started the first radio station here in Withful and also was a tireless promoter of music. Right. Absolutely champion for the cause. Yes. He encouraged a whole lot of people. He did. And he was just tickled to do it. You know, he just, and he never really encouraged anybody to take violin lessons. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, when you're, um, so, I'm sure that you were around, well, I know you were around Wade Ward. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of him? He was such a sweet fella. He really was. And I just loved his banjo playing. And now, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just a really sad time when he passed because that was in the... late 60s, early 70s, yeah. and, um, but he was, most of those old fellows were really nice. There were a few jerks, but there always are. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, his style, uh, I know playing, his style at the, during the competition, I'm sure, as Clawhammer, was a lot different than the others, wasn't it? It, it could almost have oozed over very easily into a bluegrass style. And I guess what they used to call the, the Galax sound 
was driven by banjo players like that, that, you know, were pretty high energy. Right, right, yeah, that would be my impression too. Then you, you know, you were around Fred Cockrum and Tommy Gerald and that bunch too, so you had the, the Mount Airy sound too. Mm -hmm. um, what did you think of that as opposed to the Virginia style? I was always very interested in knowing, and I've never known for sure why, that the Round Peak style became so dear to the the college kind of crowd. Um, I liked it fine. I still like it. I just happen to like a little more high energy. Right. So Kyle Creed would be thrown in with that bunch, and Kyle Creed being eccentric as he was, it was definitely yes, a was. different style of banjo. Yeah. Uh, I have the um, the very last banjo that Kyle completed before he died, he was making for my dad. And um, it's a beauty. He made it out of apple wood from a tree in his backyard that got struck by lightning. And when we first got it, it had, um, not sure if it was possum or groundhog, but anyway, it had, <laughs> it had a hide head on it from some critter that he had, had I remember, dispatched. And, I remember that banjo, because when I first started playing, you loaned it to me, and mm -hmm. I thought, wow, you know, this, having yep. one of Kyle Creed's banjos was really something. Um, the, uh, the musically, though, the style, you, you like the Virginia boys a little better, which I think Fred Cochran was a Virginia boy, but he, you know, it all yeah. intermingled, though, didn't it? Mm -hmm. but, um, well, yeah. you know, when you're that close. Yeah. Um, it does. Although, up until probably the late 30s or early 40s, it wasn't really that close because, uh, shoot, most of the roads weren't really paved except for the main highways. Yeah, number 11 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, when they and when they started coming together, though, uh, say say by the 60s, when things were really moving forward, um, were there any of those guys that really stuck out in your mind? Do you remember anybody that was that, that was way above musically everybody else? Well, I just I really liked Rafe Brady. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was he was a patient of my grandfather's, and he was one of the ones that would you know occasionally show up to have some tunes with his you know whatever it was, and um, he, like a lot of musicians in those days, he did have a little <clears throat> um, trying to think how to put it nicely, and I just can't. <laughs> he drank a lot. Well, the, the expression I've heard is they got oiled up. <laughs> yeah, well, he would get oiled up, and then he would end up in the little, you know, the little house with bars, and, um, then my granddaddy would get a call to come bail him out. And um, that was a fairly uh, common occurrence. Well, and you know, a musician uh, there, especially at that time, it was just really hard. You uh, mm -hmm. trying to make, a, especially trying to make a living at it. If you uh, 
a lot of, a lot of musicians couldn't do anything else. So uh, not justifying the drinking, but you know, it'd be easy to fall into that. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you made your own. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah test your product. <laughs> Is there, was there anybody else that really stuck out to you? Well, of course, John Will Vipperman and then his son, Johnny, and then Johnny's son, Jimmy, better known as Vip. Um, yeah, well, and you've been around long enough to, to, to say this too, and like I say, I don't want to talk much about your age, but what do you weigh? No, we, <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there either, but you've seen how it travels in generations through families. Mm -hmm. uh, what a rich cultural experience it is, and that's been your experience also. Um, well, and I can't go very far without talking about uh, the Hall twins. Because um, they were very close friends of my dad. Because they all went to school together. And once they actually even got a school bus, they'd ride the school bus together. Now, you better tell us who, who the Hall twins were. Okay, Seyford and Clayton Hall. Um, multi-instrumentalists and just absolutely fine musicians and fine people and um, they've been they were just good friends from back in the you know mid-twenties with my grandfather and my dad and all the way up to to now because their their grandson or Clayton's grandson is Ralph Barrier, who wrote a fine book about them, and um, it's quite a fiddle player. And um, it's just you know, as I sit and think, I I keep saying, oh, I didn't mention so and so. Because there's so many so and sos that that have been around, and it is it is all like one big family too, mm -hmm. and, and especially the traditional music. Because uh, what you're saying, you know, you were friends with these guys. Your dad was friends with these guys. Your grandfather was friends with these guys. So there's not really a generation gap in any of this. No, not really. It's all all a common thing. So uh, I think that that's a, that's an important point to make. That, that, you know, the sharing. I have seen 90-year-olds sit down with eight-year-olds, mm -hmm. and that, that's a huge <laughs> gap. But they, you know, had common ground, and, and the older fellow was able to show the younger, younger one something new, something, or open an eye to that type of music. And that, that does your heart good, too, when you, when you have interactions with the younger folks. Um, when I was, Back when we were able to have jam, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the little budding bass players. Yeah. And um, I had a couple of excellent ones. Well, I know you taught, you taught here in Withville for Junior Appalachian Musicians. We talked together and um, we, we haven't talked to anybody else about that aspect. So uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like to teach. Well, 
It's certainly not like anything else. Trying to trying to keep a kid's interest while they're learning about something entirely new. Because none of the kids that I had had ever touched a bass, even. And um, so it was really starting from ground zero. And it, it was delightful when all of a sudden you'd see this dawning light and like, oh, I got it. And they did, some of them. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And the, the, but when that light flicks on, that's, and you that, can very well see it. Oh yes, you can. And it's charming, absolutely. And um, you know, you get the little heart does a pity pat. The other, the other thing that I've noticed about you teaching, and I watched you when we first got the kids together to play, that first onset where they've never played with anybody else and you have a group playing, that's quite a feeling. Yes. And maybe the first first round of something was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the guitars were at one tempo and fiddles were squeaking at another tempo and so on. And by the time you started the second round of the tune, it was like, oh, music is coming out. It. And having been in a in a banjo class a few years ago, I could appreciate it more because I had been there, you know, recently. And uh, so seeing both sides of the coin was interesting. I think the, the every time that I teach, I think I'm reliving what it was like to when I did. I have a memory of saying, okay, this is an F chord on the guitar and this is really hard. Did you do that? Do you do you remember the difficulties you had? Well, sometimes I still have difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> F sharp minor on a bass ain't cute. <laughs> Until you get it. Right. Then when you understand, it mm -hmm. makes a big difference. But uh, it's, it's just, well, it's yeah. a whole different world. Um, you probably you probably also remember that um, well back I guess in the 50s there weren't a whole lot of upright bass players around were there as far as like a Galax competition and stuff were there were there as many as there are now well most of the most of the settled bands did have bass players oh even by the 50s mm -hmm. okay mm. trains were coming through and bringing big packages right <laughs> Well, I remember, well, it has been long, I started to say it hadn't been that long ago, trying to find a base was a little bit difficult, trying to find one for sale. Yeah. Now they're, they're pretty well, it's pretty easy to accessible now. Uh, so in the 50s, those guys, uh, I know in the 40s, uh, two guys from Rural Retreat drove from Rural Retreat to Danville to buy a, a, a base, I think it was in 1946, and they had to go that far to find one. Yeah. It's a whole lot, it's a different world as far as playing, or playing and everything is different now, isn't it? It is, and accessibility to instruments is wonderful anymore. Oh yeah. And a lot of the 
cheaper imports make a wonderful stepping stone because they're not so dreadfully expensive that you know, they can be purchased right easily right. or maybe not quite so easily but they're still within reach so when you started with especially first time i met you you were playing bluegrass Mm -hmm. But uh, I think soon after that you went to an old time band and you played you played with some of the the greats of Grayson County, Virginia. You had Enoch Rutherford, the banjo player, and mm -hmm. uh, the Enoch stories we could tell all night. <laughs> <laughs> Not if anybody's filming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any particular Enoch story that that you can tell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was such a character. Uh, music wise. You know, you just, you just couldn't touch him. But um, we would go over to his house. Generally, Enoch didn't drive. He owned a car, but he didn't have a driver's license, and he just didn't drive. <laughs> I didn't know he owned a car. <laughs> yeah, well, he bought it for his wife. And uh, so, anyway, when we would have a band practice or something like that, we'd always go to Enoch's little blue house over in Gold Hill. And um, if it was really, really hot, we'd have to go to Enoch's basement, which was, you know, nice dirt floor, and except for the freezer that was running and putting out a little bit of heat, that was the place to be. But Enoch would, he had some wonderful stories that he would tell. And um, we'd all sit around and slap our, you know, ha, ha, ha. But, <laughs> but my favorite Enoch story has nothing to do with music. But he would call me, oh, probably once or twice a week, seven o'clock in the morning. I could, if, if my phone rang at seven o'clock in the morning, I knew who it was. It would wake me from a sound sleep, hello. That'll wake you up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he called one morning and he said, what you doing? I said, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> he said, well, I need some help. I said, well, what do you need help with? He said, well, I picked all these beets and I want pickle beets and I don't know how to fix them. Do you know how to fix pickle beets? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, well, can you come over? And I said, oh, all right. So I went over to Enoch's house, drove, what, you know, 45 minutes, an hour to get there. And he said, I've got the, I'm washing the jars and so on, and this and that and the other. And I was going, oh, dear. And about that time, Lynn Worth drives up. And she comes to the house carrying this big pressure canner. And I said, um, do you know something about beets that I don't? I don't believe we pressure can pickled beets. And she said, beets? I thought he said beans. <laughs> <laughs> and it took us the rest of the day because he had put the jars in the sink with his country ham skillet and trying to get those jars to get all the ham grease off of them 
to even be able to use them was that it was an all-day process. And Enoch was, was really the last of the breed. I mean, he farmed, he played fiddle and banjo. I never, I never knew him play anything else. Did he play any other instruments? Not that I know Just fiddle and banjo. And uh, he mowed grass at the cemetery. I think that was his work, or mm -hmm. when I knew him it was. I don't guess he'd done anything much other than that. But he absolutely lived to go to a fiddler's convention. Oh, he did. And play all night. <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> we played, what? Played in a band with him till he quit playing banjo. Yeah, yeah. And you all played a lot of dances, a lot of square dances and that sort of thing mm -hmm. too. What was that like? Tiring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really was. Um, Cause there was just no stopping Enoch. Once he got going, he was good to go. And when everybody's arms would be falling off, he'd maybe think it's time to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there is some footage on YouTube of him too uh, playing. He was a very hard driver. Oh, he was, and he was a lot of fun, and he had a very sly sense of humor, and. Um, but without, when I first met Enoch, he had one tooth. And then shortly thereafter, he had no teeth. <laughs> and Which is why it's beans instead of beets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So one evening, I think, I can't remember if I asked him or if Ray Mayo asked him, why didn't, why didn't he get some dentures. He said, I've got the finest teeth in here that money can buy. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't you wear them? And he said, they gag me. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he said gag, it was just, you know, when you just, yeah. <laughs> well, as opposed to other genres of music, um, and, and you've, you've been around, you've seen it, uh, What's, what's the special thing about playing an old-time band? Well, it really kind of turns into a, being a family. It, and even if it, a couple of three or four or ten people come around to jam and so on, by the time you've spent time with folks, they become a part of your family. And it's really... It's not so much about the the music per se, it's the people that like the same things that you do. And I don't know, it's just, it's family. It's the best way I can describe it. Now the bunch you're with now, uh, tell us about them. I've been playing with Buck Mountain Band for, gosh, over 20 years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're getting ready to start our 17th season at the Blue Ridge Music Center. Um, so you're there on what day? We're there on Mondays, May through October. And we Blue do Ridge the Music Monday Center. thing, Blue Ridge Music Center on the parkway, yep. milepost 213, be there or be square. <laughs> <laughs> Music from noon to four every day but don't come at one o'clock we take a break from one to about 120 <laughs> for lunch but um 
That's really, that's really fun. And you have people from all over the world come to that. That's mm -hmm. um, not so much the past couple of seasons because travel right. has been so limited. Yeah, hopefully we'll but, get back on it now. No. But your fiddle player, he's 80-some, isn't he? Yeah, he just turned 80 in October. Oh, he just turned 80, okay, mm -hmm. yeah. And he's our, he's our grandpa, and I'm, you know, I'm coming up pretty quick behind him. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could tell anybody that's interested in music, um, if you could give them some advice on, you know, getting into music or playing out or learning even, what would you tell them? Find the best person that you can to learn from. If you can't find them in person, check them out on YouTube. There are plenty of people that are available on YouTube to teach lessons. And find the style that you'd like. You know, if you want the hard driving stuff, that's, that's what to look for. If you like the more laid-back, easy-going type, look for that. But there are always resources, and if you're really interested, you'll really look for them. Um, but it's not like sitting under, under an apple tree and waiting for an apple to fall in your lap. You really maybe need to pull out the ladder and climb up and get it. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Debbie, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening to my ramblings long. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Debbie Larson with fiddler Wiley Mayo doing Ship in the Morning. We'll see y'all soon. <laughs> <laughs>